Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. And welcome back to She Dynasty. I'm so happy to have Marla Kaplowitz, the president and CEO of the Four A's, joining me today. The Four A's is the leading trade organization for marketing communication agencies. The purpose is to help empower its members to produce thoughtful creativity that drives commerce, influences culture, and moves our industry forward. They currently serve over 600 member agencies across 1,200 offices, which helps direct more than 85% of the total U.S. advertising spend. Wow. Hi, Marla. Hello. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I am really excited to speak to you today. I was telling Sam earlier, our producer, that You know, I interview so many different women on She Dynasty from different industries, and so many industries that I know nothing about. And so it's always very refreshing when I get to talk to someone who knows so much about the industry because it makes it easier for me because I it just comes naturally to know what to talk about. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you here today. We can have a little bit of a shorthand. There you go. Awesome. Well, I think as in the spirit of She Dynasty, we really want to learn about you and, you know, your journey. At the end, we'll talk about, you know, kind of what you're up to and your day to day. But before we get there, I want to start, you know, back at the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. And, you know, one of the questions that I really love to understand, just because I love to see how people's ideas and inspirations shift throughout their careers, like, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? What did you think you wanted to be when you were a little girl? Yeah, it's interesting. So you and I are both born and raised in Los Angeles, and it was a really nice place to grow up. And when I was very, very young, I used to joke that I wanted to be a whaleologist before I understood what marine biologist was. And then I saw the movie Jaws and changed my mind about the ocean and then was so interested in mysteries and solving puzzles and problems that I decided I wanted to be an attorney. And I was always interested more so on kind of litigation side. And then I got to college and thought, wait, four years here, three more years after that. No. And then picked advertising and marketing. So that was kind of the weird path that I went down. But I believe there's still a connection because in the world of advertising and marketing, we're still solving problems every day and trying to help a client get and be their best. Absolutely. So there are some similarities, right? Obviously between being in advertising and being a lawyer, I, I think. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm solving legal issues or potential legal issues every day with like, who are we going to offend? Is this going to be the right thing to do? <laughs> so very general. interesting. So did your, did your parents have any kind of influence and, in, you know, the careers that they had or um, any hopes or dreams for you when you were growing up that, you know, kind of shaped what your, your journey might look like? So as I 
look at my parents. They both had tremendous work ethic. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She really focused in on her four kids. I'm the oldest of four, but she did not work outside the home. And my dad was incredibly entrepreneurial. He had started businesses. He was a manufacturer sales representative. He passed away when I was in high school. And for me, it was a reminder of the need to have a secure job for a variety of reasons and not to pursue the entrepreneurial path. But I started babysitting at the age of 14. And I always remember my mom saying, go above and beyond. And my father always really impressed on all of us, be the best that you can be. And that work ethic has really carried me through my entire professional career. I love that. Tell me any specific sparks in the field of advertising, like your youngest memory where you thought, oh, this is interesting, or this is something that I could do when I'm, when I'm older or as a career. I started out, even before I moved to New York, I had an internship one summer at a little ad agency in Santa Barbara where I went to school and thought it was fascinating. I was interested in media, which was a bit unusual at that time. And for me, the most exciting thing was moving to New York and getting to be part of this incredible industry and being exposed learning about new products, new categories. Everything to me was new and interesting. And I was a sociology major and I was always fascinated by people. And so to me, it was just incredibly satiating uh, for my endless curiosity about people and products and learning on a daily basis. I understand that you decided in your sophomore year of college that you wanted to move to New York uh, post-graduation to join a larger advertising agency to get the best experience. Tell us a little bit about that first experience and you know the big learning or takeaway you took from that. So it was a double experience of leaving California and moving to New York, going from I'll say suburbia to the big city and working at an ad agency, which I was very fortunate. I started at an agency called DMBMB, which no longer exists, but had an excellent training program for media professionals. And that was so beneficial for me. I was really just afforded so many good opportunities to work on brands in across P&G, craft, you name it, just big brands early on in my career. And that was just so rewarding for me. And this was the early days of media where media was not as complex. And so I benefited as it got more and more complex over the years and more interesting and fragmented. What was your title when you took that job? My first job, I was an assistant media planner. So no experience to kind of got to the job and, or you actually, you had a little bit of. A lot of it was on the job training and the training program that they had. And from there, just what was your aptitude? What was your attitude about what you wanted to be involved with and how far you could take it? Awesome. And then you mentioned that you had, or you took a trip to Spain and it changed your life. Tell us about that. Yes, so interesting because I was just in Spain after not being there for almost 25 years or at least parts of it. And it was the only time I ever traveled solo for a long period of time. And it was at a point in my life where I was working a lot and not feeling a lot of personal satisfaction in my life. And I came back from that trip very determined to 
find a new job, focus on my personal life, and started the following year at a new job, met my husband not too soon thereafter, and everything just continued to grow from there. So it's just this reminder that with intentionality and focus, you can make things happen in your life, but you have to be really clear about what you want and how to get it. And what was that job that you came back to or that you took when you got back? So when I came back, I had been working at an agency called Amarati Puris Lintas, and it was full service. And this was at the time, it was 1999, where media departments were splintering off and becoming their own entities. And so I went back to my first agency when MediaVest was formed and started working on the Avon business, which I thoroughly enjoyed. It was a great experience with terrific clients. Interesting. And then what was next after that? After that, I was running what they called the multi-client service group at MediaVest and did that for a couple of years. And then ended up running the Procter & Gamble business on the communications planning side, which was perfect for me because earlier in my career, I had worked on P&G. And so it was kind of coming back to that wonderful experience. Uh, for me, P&G was like getting an MBA, just an incredible exposure to brilliant marketing and it, people that wanted to push things forward. So this was the time when communications planning was starting to evolve and got to spend seven years on that business before I then went to my next agency. Isn't that how the agency business typically works? Moving from agency to agency and getting new experiences. Unless you're me, who's been at the same agency for 26 years. I, I've heard that's the way it works. Yes. So interesting. So you mentioned, and I'm not sure which agency this happened at, but you you said that one of the sparks in your, your life came out of an opportunity for one of your clients, which was Crest to Toothpaste, where you had the idea to segment the audience. I want to hear about that experience because that sounds interesting. Well, it was so long ago. So after assistant media planner, I was a media planner and I worked for this amazing woman named Liz Mangus, who was the assistant media director and had this idea. It was pretty early on because it was, I think it was 1989 to instead of doing mass, that there were different types of people that used gel toothpaste versus paste. And so to segment the audience with different messaging and focus in on a younger consumer that preferred the gel and an older consumer that preferred the paste. And then over time, we even had more targeted advertising. And I, I think of that as the early days of starting to really figure out more about the segmentation. And we were also believing that someday we were going to go from mass media to one to, to many, to one to few, to one to one. And of course, we're very much living that today. Yeah, interesting. So it was almost a big precursor to how the world works right now. It was. And what was exciting was it was very different. And Liz supported me in that. She said, I don't know if I fully agree, but I'm going to support you and let you present that to the clients. And that's what you need early on in your career. You need people who believe in you and support you, even if they don't fully agree, but giving you that opportunity and that chance. Right. We're so spoiled now with technology and how we can read data. So how how back then did you get the data that younger younger folks liked, you know, gel toothpaste versus paste? 
But this is back in the early days of MR. We would use MRI and we'd use Simmons and whatever resources we had. If the clients had any sort of proprietary data, this is even pre-ethnographic research. So it was probably a lot of surveys, probably, right? Just asking people what they do, what they think. I mean, obviously there's a form of that that happens today, but on a much more sophisticated level. Right. Okay. So some things haven't changed. Exactly. All right. So we're going to move into some of the snags in your career, because obviously it's not always roses for everyone. You know, oftentimes we have to go through stuff in order to grow and become better and to learn and to level up. So one of the initial snags that you mentioned was trusting the wrong person with confidential information that you shouldn't have shared. And I think this is such an important lesson for people and something that I've learned myself over and over again. I think I finally have learned not to make the mistake again. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that and what you learned from it. Sure. I believe I was 25 years old, maybe 26. And I was told that, I, I remember this so clearly, I was told that they were going to give certain people the senior media planner title, but not to tell anyone. And I made this mistake of telling a peer of mine who I thought would also be getting that title and didn't get that title. And of course, that came back to bite me. And I had to have a conversation with my boss who had told me, and I fully admitted that I opened my big mouth. And she just said to me, you need to remember that knowledge is power. And when people entrust you with information and make it clear not to share it, that you have to maintain that confidentiality or people will never trust you. And I really took that to heart because you realize if you don't maintain that information, no one's ever going to tell you anything and you're never going to be trusted. So it was a good lesson to learn early on, but if you don't learn that lesson early enough, it can really hurt you later on in your career. Yeah. You know, I think when you're young and you learn something, you know, sometimes you're excited to share or you feel, you know, kind of empowered that someone's trusted you. And, you know, it seems like it's easy to trust somebody, but, you know, it just, I, again, have learned this over and over again, you know, people, people talk. And when you think you think you can trust someone, you can't always. So I think it's really an important lesson. And I think the bigger takeaway from that is, you know, it's your reputation. And I'm sure that you can, you know, also, you know, agree that it's so important. You want people, you know, as you go through your career to trust and know that you're someone who can be trusted and say that about you. So I think it's, it's a great, it's a great nugget for people to think about. Absolutely. You also talked about having lost a major client a year into your role as a CEO. So what company was that and what happened there and how did you bounce back from it? Sure. That was when I was CEO of MEC North America, and I had taken on the CEO role the year earlier. And at a time where we were in the midst of losing business, and that was challenging. And my goal was to refocus the agency and get back on a growth trajectory. And we had a major piece of business that went up for review. And we lost it and it was almost at the time of my one year anniversary. And it, at that point, I had been working so hard in that year and 
there, there's, there's only so much you can will to make happen. Sometimes you need time and you need the right people and you just need to have a little bit more patience. And I remember just feeling so down about that situation and the experience and, and I was letting it impact my health, which was concerning at the time. Like I really had to stop and take a pause. And I joked that I had a pity party for two weeks. I really could tell that it was letting me down, getting me down, I should say, and upsetting me. And I finally woke up one day and thought, I'm the CEO. I can't walk around like this. I have to be the number one cheerleader and optimist. And I am usually the positive person, but I have to maintain this focus. It doesn't mean that the plan isn't right. It means that we need more time and maybe some more changes in order for this to take effect. And I need to stay focused. And then I became, why is she, then I became the CEO that people would kind of whisper about and say, why is she always smiling? Why is she always positive? That was far better than letting anyone ever see the doom or gloom or how you're, you're feeling. And I did have someone early on when I took on that role say to me, when people on the outside ask you how you're doing, just always be positive because you also need to be projecting that positivity, especially in a client service business mm -hmm. and for your people, you have to be motivating for them. So I, I will say there was a happy ending, but it sometimes it is hard to, to be truly motivated a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to this on so many levels. I think I told you this in a conversation, but we lost a major piece of business uh, earlier this year. So, you know, definitely going through it. And, you know, what's interesting is you talk about something and, you know, this is something that I, I really want people to hear because the the role of a CEO is difficult because on, on one hand, even though you usually have a huge team of people below you that are, you know, obviously in the day to day and partially responsible for what happens at the agency, somehow it all gets reflected onto you because of the choices that you make and the team you put in place. And, you know, so it's something it's a, it's definitely a difficult pill to swallow. And then on the other side of that, you know, you're human like everybody else. And, you know, here you are, you probably worked, you know, worked your ass off for an entire year and this happens and, you know, you don't want it to be a reflection of who you are or what you can do, but sometimes things are outside of your control. You know, in, in my situation, it was, you know, they had a huge org change at the top of the company and they decided to do take things a different direction for whatever reason. And I'm not totally sure that was a reflection on our work, but at the end of the day, you know, it's hard for people not to look at it that way. And so I can relate to this idea of, yeah, you can't, I mean, I think there should be a moment where, you know, you come out and this has always been my philosophy because I, I went through the same thing as you, where I used to be so heavy and bummed and I realized, oh my gosh, if I bum out my team, we're not going to bounce back. We're just not. So I always allow like one moment of like, okay, we get it out. We're going to like be bummed for a minute. And then the next day it like never happened. It never happened. And if I want to complain or be bummed, I'll talk to my husband. I'll talk to my kids. I'll talk to my best friend, but it just doesn't work for the team. It doesn't because 
what we put out there is what we get back. And so I think that's another really important kind of takeaway from this conversation that I want people to hear as they're moving towards, you know, be becoming or going towards more leadership roles. Yeah. And you have to focus forward and just stay on that path and learn from the past, but not dwell on it. Yeah, absolutely. You also mentioned another time or another snag um, when you were or as the CEO of the four A's where you received a bad piece of PR, a nightmare for any CEO. Can you talk about that press and what did, how did you overcome that? That was interesting. It was a little over two years into my tenure and we'd been hearing word that there was going to most likely be an article that was going to question the value of membership and raise some other issues. And so we were prepared. I think it's far worse when you're not even prepared for it, but it hit and it was disappointing. Of course it it is. And I just took it head on and there were someone quoted in the article who wasn't even a member. And I thought, okay, well, you're not even close to this. And someone else who was a member. And I reached out to that person and said, can we have a conversation? Let me come in and meet with you. And that's what you have to do when you're in a situation like that. You have to take the knocks and you have to be a grown up about it. And you have to realize that not everyone is going to view things the way that you do. The role that I have is more public facing. And so there is more scrutiny. And I recognize that I have to deal with it. But it was also a reminder that we needed to reassess how we were doing PR, how we were doing a few things overall internally. And I had brought on a new team member at that point, managing our marketing and events. We were in the process of doing a whole organizational overhaul and review of how we were working operationally. So it was an interesting time where we knew we needed to make changes and we were working on those, but they all of a sudden became very visible externally. And I'm proud to say that following that, so I'd say less than six months later, we were in a pandemic and the PR situation, we had a new PR agency by that point, And the situation very much shifted, but I, I think it was good in a way that we got that nice kick in the pants because it made us accelerate what we needed to do, but also own up to where were the deficiencies or where were the deficiencies, but the lack of understanding if we weren't communicating appropriately. Right. And what's, what's interesting about this is you know, you, you build an organization or you work so hard and, you know, one comment or one article can, you know, make, it it can have such an impact. It can create so much damage. But the one thing that I love is that you, you did hit it straight on and you, you know, went for it and you acknowledged what you needed to fix. And, you know, to your point, the world doesn't always know what you're working on, you know, behind closed doors. And so it's 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 frustrating, especially when you know you're kind of in the midst of, you know, getting better or improving things and someone kind of beats you to the punch. But I really commend you for that. And, you know, one of the things that I think makes she dynasty special is that you know women at your at your level are are openly willing to talk about some of these challenges that they've had to overcome because 
to so many people, it seems so glamorous or so amazing, or wow, she's the CEO of this amazing company, or, you know, or she founded this company. And it's not always easy. In fact, it's really, really hard. And so that's what I, you know, what I really want people to understand. And so what I love about, you know, the, the snags that you've outlined today is it's obvious that you've had major, you know, breakthroughs and learnings from them on how to, you know, just make sure to do things better next time. You know, it's never going to be perfect, perfect, but I think that that's, that's really what, what we get out of it when we, you know, when we kind of make a misstep or, you know, maybe don't get ahead of something as soon as we should. I agree. And resiliency is a muscle that keeps on getting exercised and worked out. And you sometimes need to really rely on that in certain situations. Yes, agreed. All right. So we're going to move on to your shifts. And I think we just talked about one of them. The other is obviously was a very profound moment in your life. And that was when your father passed away. You were very young. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it put you on a completely different path. And I think you mentioned it a little earlier, but tell us like what major shifts it created within you. It's always interesting to think back on it because I was 15 and I look at that as almost the before and after because you don't imagine that happening in your life. On a positive note, it made my family closer. And so that's important to me. It also made me realize that I needed to be able to financially take care of myself no matter what. So there was never a question for me if I would work. Uh, It just fueled my ambition, I would say, even more. And I am not someone who generally loves celebrating my birthday because I don't like the attention, but I also recognize that I need to and am grateful that I get to have a birthday every year, far beyond the years that my father got to live. And that is important to me. And my father was in business and it's exciting for me to think how he would look at me in this role. But I also know that my father, I sometimes used to say that he died from stress uh, because he had uh, a bleeding ulcer that caused a heart attack. And I have had periods in my life where stress have gotten, it's, it, it's a reminder that we all need to take care of ourselves mm-hmm. and self-care is so important. So in so many ways, I have learned so much from that because I know what I need to do to take care of myself. So I don't have that situation happen. And that is really important to make sure when you are in a big job, regardless, actually, but a leadership role, you need to take care of yourself and make sure that you are there for the people around you. But if you're not taking care of yourself, you don't have a lot to give for anyone else either. So I think there's so many lessons that we all learn in life. And regardless of how bad anything is, for me, I always need to find some learning out of it or some, if you can even say this, good out of it. So that's what I've tried to do. It sounds like you've taken away some amazing lessons from that period in your life to carry forward. You know, and stress is a big part of the job, obviously, in the position that you're in. So how how do you deal with stress these days? You know, if you're going through something really stressful, do you have, 
a secret? Is there, do you just decide to unplug for a while? Do you have anything you can share on how you manage stress? I tried meditation years ago. It's just not for me. It's really challenging for me to quiet my mind that way. So my form of meditation is walking. I really enjoy walking either without listening to music, without listening to a podcast, but my favorite is to do an hour walk in the morning, listening to podcasts, but just clearing my mind. I live near a park. It's really just such a good way to start the day. That is definitely a good way to relieve stress. I do work out. I will go bike riding or ride a stationary bike. But to me, doing the physical things is so important and figuring out what it is for whatever you need. You have to, you have to do it because stress is real and it will get you and you have to find ways to alleviate it. It's hard when you're so busy to carve out the time and prioritize because you're not good to anybody unless you're in a good headspace. So, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll make it kind of a mandatory thing because I'm everything you said I relate to because I do too. You live nearby. I think we'd go on walks together. But, you know, I think that it is so crucial for me to be able to function and make decisions that it almost is it's it's part of the job. Like for me, it's like brushing my teeth. Like I can't not do that anymore because otherwise I just don't, I don't function if I'm just too wound up, you know? So I totally relate to that. Well, you've, you've answered, you know, so many of my questions and, you know, I did, I did want to talk a little bit about kind of the forays, your role, what you do today. So for people who might not understand, because all kinds of people listen to She Dynasty, not just people in, in advertising and marketing. So can you explain a little bit about your role and, you know, kind of what you do kind of big picture and on a day to day? Sure. So also a lot of people don't necessarily know, well, what is, A's, what does that mean? It is the American Association of Advertising Agencies. So the trade association that represents advertising and marketing communications agencies in the U.S. And what I love about my role is that I spent 30 years on the agency side, focused on an individual agency or within a holding company. And I now get to take that passion for the agency community in this industry and do it and cast a much wider net and really be a champion and advocate. So our role at the forays is to help our members with whatever their needs are from a business transformation standpoint, as well as their talent needs. And that takes a number of different paths. So we will help them in all of their needs in Washington, whether that comes to advocacy work, data privacy, tax deductibility, Uh, We help them with their benefits. We help them with any sort of contractual needs. We also have a foundation that helps bring in youth and creates new possibilities and helps really advance DEIB in the industry. So I could go on and on. But to me, what we do is we really help our members with their business and help them with their clients so that they can grow and thrive. And I love that you uh, don't only deal with 
large agencies, but also independently owned agencies uh, like mine. And I was, you know, so touched, um, you know, when you were willing to talk to me, and I, I always thought, oh, the forays is only for, you know, those big giant agencies. But, you know, that really meant a lot to me that you were, you know, willing to give me the, you know, the time and attention to talk to me the same way you probably would a bigger agency. So, you know, I think it's fantastic that the forays supports, you know, anyone in the community. You know, that being said, you obviously bring up the topic of diversity and you know obviously getting better year over year a lot of work has been done especially in the last few years obviously so much more work to do but just just wanted to hear your take on how you think it's going in terms of you know leadership at agencies are we making progress or where are we at we just completed our annual diversity in agencies survey that was released and We've made some progress in some areas. We still have a lot of work to do at the C-suite level in terms of changing the composition. There's been a lot of work on the gender shift. What's also interesting is that over 60% of the total workforce in this industry, at least in the agency community from our sample, is female, but as you start to get up into the more senior roles, that starts to shift. So there's still challenges with, and this is not just our industry, but women leaving the workforce at that mid to senior level. How do we really look at intersectionality, not just looking at gender, but also other aspects of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age? There's so many neurodiversity. We're in this midst of really trying to understand accessibility. There's, there's so many different aspects that need to be understood. So I worry that we went from a few years ago where it started to feel like we really were in this movement back to a moment and we need to light the fire under this again and really refocus our efforts because it takes time in order to affect the change at that senior level and we need to be building and growing and nurturing that talent now. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Absolutely. I listened to another interview that you did and you talked about a program that your organization has put together, which coincidentally, my agency has done something totally exactly the same, actually. And it's just another coincidence, something we have in common. But, you know, when when the diversity conversation became, you know, so prevalent and important and, you know, I was one of, you know, many who, you know, raised my hand and thought, wow, you know, I haven't been doing enough. My agency needs to be doing more. And, you know, I struggled with how to be a part of the solution. It was a really confusing and difficult time. And, you know, we started a, a program at our agency called Team Woo, which is all about mentor, mentoring high school students. So we'd go into diverse high schools and we would find, you know, find kids that raise their hand and said, I'm creative, but have no idea what to do with it because the schools that they're at teach math and science and, you know, they have PE and, you know, they have uh, art is like sometimes uh, some little class in the corner. And, you know, I also related when I was a, a kid, remember thinking, gosh, I'm, I'm a creative person, but I always thought, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to grow up and be a painter or an artist? Like I didn't know what to do with it, right? And I never understood that creativity could actually translate to a career. 
it, it was like the most simple concept. And I re- literally didn't realize it. Weirdly, I thought it was going to be a doctor until I was 25 until my aunt uh, once looked at me and said, doc, what are you talking about, Valerie? You're such a creative person. And she put me in the car and she drove me up to art center, dropped me off. And I was like, oh, this, you know, and so that changed my entire life. And I thought, well, how do we like get ahead of this problem? You know, instead of kind of searching for people that are already you know, there's not enough people to choose from. How do we get ahead of it? Inspire people at a younger generation. So we've had, you know, we've had some successes and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the program you've put together. Cause I know it's similar. Yes. We have two high schools that we're affiliated with in New York city, Mecca and I am. And every year we do a competition with them called react, but throughout the year, we are working to help bring them curriculum, identify any sort of internship or mentorship opportunities. And it's exactly what you said. It's letting them know that there are careers that they can take advantage of in this industry because they either haven't been exposed to it through their own families. They haven't heard about it and they don't know that it can be a fulfilling career. They're often told to go into careers that are safe and uh, where they know that they can get a job, get a pension. So this is something that's very different and that we still have a lot of work to do. And then our goal is from high school to then pipeline them into our MAPE program, which is our multicultural advertising internship program for college. And then we love to see them continue on. And we have a program called Vanguard, which is to help mid to senior level professionals advance within their agency. So we have started with a cohort focused on the Black community. We're about to launch one to the Hispanic and Latinx community and continue to to push that out. So the the key is how do we keep moving people throughout to get them into that sweet, sweet role? But I think it's fantastic that you did that because this is a need across the country. And there's an organization called the Brand Lab that has a more formal curriculum out of Minneapolis and Kansas City. And they can go into any market if the community is able to raise $100,000 and really put together a terrific program. So hopefully they'll continue to expand, but it's wonderful leaders like you that recognize the need within their own community. Awesome. Well, I, I, I can't say, I can't take all the credit. We were really lucky. We got um, Supergoop. Are you familiar with um, the sunscreen brand? They partnered with us and it was so amazing because I had 18 volunteers from my agency um, who actually um, donated their time off hours to mentor these kids. And we broke the kids in. I think we had 25 kids and we broke them into different agencies. They got to name their agency and uh, they got a brief, a real brief from Supergoop, from the actual uh, marketing director at Supergoop. And um, they came back and they presented their agency and their ideas and there was a winner and a prize and it was super fun. So we're about to put that into the world and show everybody the work that the kids did. It was super fun. That's wonderful. Yeah, we do something similar and I think it's such a rewarding experience for them. Awesome. All right. So I asked my team, you know, my team heard that I was interviewing you and they wanted me to ask you some questions. So this is some some collective questions from my team. So one of the questions they had are, you know, what are the big kind of trends that you're seeing or shifts that you're seeing in our industry from the agency perspective that people should be aware of? Anything that comes to mind? 
just talking earlier with the, someone about this. So I, I feel that this may be a little bit overplayed, but generative AI is definitely the hot topic these days. And what I find interesting is that it will impact every aspect, internal, external, when you are talking about the agency. So creatively, it has tremendous application, how you use it. There are legal implications around that. So you've got the business affairs people focusing on what the implications are from a liability standpoint. You look at it in terms of automation and how it can help streamline a lot of the mundane and rote tasks, how it can help accelerate. I look at it as people augmentation. So it isn't about replacing humans, although it may in some cases, but it's about how do you supercharge what we do and accelerate what we are capable of and bringing new ideas and creativity. So I think it's fascinating and every agency is obviously looking into this. Uh, some are giving licenses to every single employee. It's it's just a different application depending upon the type of agency and the way they're using it. So that's very exciting to me. But agencies today are always looking at what are the growth opportunities. It's going to be interesting to see what happens right now with content. One of the big themes uh, I would say also right now is looking at the creator economy and influencers and what that is doing in terms of creativity and content overall. I see more agencies building out influencer marketing departments and capabilities because they recognize that that's an understanding and that's a skill set that they need to have because there are bespoke influencer marketing agencies out there. So I would say those are probably the two that, that really rise to the top in terms of focus. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have a 16-year-old 16, a 16 daughter who's very interested in advertising and marketing. And she said to me the other day, mom, you know, you, you keep telling me I'd be perfect for this industry, but aren't you worried that with AI, like there's not going to be an industry in the next 10 years? And I honestly don't know how to answer her, you know, and I, I don't think we're there yet. And I think there's going to be time before, I mean, before hopefully we're not there, but what, what's your, your take on that? I mean, is there a chance that, you know, this AI is going to put us out of business as an industry? Listen, it's getting smarter every day, but it's also learning based on the past and it's really reflective of the prompts that you give it. So it's only as good as the prompt engineer and the person who is manipulating the data set. And it depends what you're putting into that largely into that LLM. So I know there are people that worry it will completely take over. Is it going to eliminate some roles? I don't see how it can't eliminate some roles, but then we also haven't talked about what are all the new roles that are going to be created either as a result of it or other new technology. So to, I'm going to stay the optimist and think about what all the new possibilities are and that things will continue to grow and evolve. And I'll quote Rashad Tabakawala, who says that uh, agency people are like cockroaches and we survive unlike the dinosaurs. I love that. And your answer was very similar to what I told her is that I, I thought it was going to, you know, spawn new opportunities and new jobs and new ways to think about it. So we just have to, you know, start to 
think about what those are and that this is probably the time where the industry has to innovate and push and things are going to change and you know that's happened so many times in the in the history of advertising and that big moment might be I means here again so what does that look like you know five or ten years from now so it'll be exciting to see what it is Trust me, I can find so many headlines from Ad Age over the past decades that says the death of advertising or the death of the agency. And it hasn't died. Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, there's so much data and there's so much technology. And at the end of the day, though, you know, there's this human aspect of what advertising is about. And you can never take that away. You know, it's about making those emotional connections and, you know, making people feel something. So I get that. And I think that that's what people have to remember. It's like, I just feel like you need humans to spark human feelings, you know, and I'm hoping that, you know, and I'm optimistic also that that's the case in the future. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about this topic comes up so often, older generations versus younger generations and how there's just just a different way of thinking and working. And uh, for some people, people think it's a different work ethic. And I just wanted to get your, you know, your take on this. And one of the things that comes up with this often is obviously so many agencies are working from home or partially or hybrid. And, you know, you think about mentors and how difficult it is for, you know, for interns or people coming into the workforce. You know, we used to be able to, you know, when you were just starting out, you'd go to the office and you kind of learn by seeing what's around you and standing next to someone and overhearing conversations. And now it feels like you have to wait till the next, you know, Zoom call or Teams call. And it's just, I don't know, in my, in my opinion, it's not the same. But I just want to, you know, also be kind of open-minded to, it's not the same and that's okay. It's a new generation and they're just going to figure it out differently. You know, that's kind of how I've kind of wrapped my head around it. But I guess, um, you know, the question is, you know, how, how important is it for older generations to just kind of abandon what we know and kind of move to what younger generations think is right for our industry versus the other way around? Or should we be meeting in the middle? I look at it as a meeting in the middle. I think we have a lot to learn from the younger generation as the younger generation has a lot to learn from the older generation. And we are definitely in a time where we have, we've always had multi-generational workforces, but we really are at a time where boomers are working longer. So you've got from Gen Z all the way up to boomers in the workforce now, and that really can create challenges I was having a conversation with one of our team members yesterday who is a young millennial commenting to me about challenges with some younger people. And I just started laughing and she said, what's so funny? I said, every generation complains about the generation that comes after them saying that they don't have the same work ethic. They don't look at the same thing. I said, this is very common, but it's all about understanding that we've all been exposed to different things, different ways of working, and we have to figure out how we can work together and respect what each other brings and acknowledge that it's different. And ultimately, we may have a different way to get to the answer, but we may get to the same answer. But we can, I think that's interesting in terms of learning and growing. 
but we we will have a lot to figure out because the younger generation is just exposed and used to working in a certain way and it has been a real friction point when it comes to return to office or hybrid work because it's challenging to tell someone that they're going to benefit from being in the office when they're also really enjoying their flexibility and their freedom and their short commute. So there are pros and cons, and maybe you're going to give up some of that wonderful osmosis that happens in the office, but you're going to gain something new. We all have different learning styles, so it's challenging to say, well, this is the only way that you can learn or the best way to learn. So I think we're still very much in a learning period, but I still hear leaders struggling with this topic. It is still a hot conversation at a lot of different meetings because leaders are still trying to push people back into the office. And even when it's mandatory, there's a good 20% of people rejecting that. So I believe you have to listen to your voice. Is there a feeling that productivity is down, that the work's not as good, or is that just a perception or what are your thoughts on that? There are leaders that believe the creative is not as good, that uh, exactly what you said, people are not as productive. Are they really working as hard? The hours are down. I personally think it's really challenging to look at hours because I can look at my team and productivity. It's a spectrum. I have people that are incredibly productive and can get things done in half the time of somebody else. So I don't know that that's really the best way of looking at it. And creativity, well, again, that's subjective. So it, it's it's hard to say. I believe that those are the points of rationale that are used to justify what they want to be able to say that. I don't know that that's necessarily true. It's hard if your business is growing and thriving to say that it isn't working. So I do believe when a business starts to backslide or there is real softness, it will be a moment for someone to say, well, we've been doing it this way, but now we need to go back to the old way of working. But it's been over three years. This is, we're beyond (laughs) habit forming. We're just stuck in a behavior now. For sure. So I have a question. So what is one kind of value that you would love to, you know, have younger generations kind of learn from you? And what is one thing you feel like you've learned from younger generations than different that's different from, you know, your way of thinking? I would love for them to learn that you need to be incredibly open to the opportunities and to learning and take advantage of everything that is at your disposal and to not shy away from offers to sit in on a meeting or take on an extra project because all of those will help you grow and learn. And even when it's uncomfortable, I I love this quote from Ginny Rometty, who used to be the CEO of IBM. She says, growth and comfort cannot coexist. And I truly believe that. I have learned from younger people 
that it's okay to take risks. I was far too conservative early on in my career, even as a young person, and wish that I had leaned into things more than I did. And I do see that young people are a little more open and flexible in that way. And that's a good lesson for everyone to learn. Those are two great points. All right, this brings me to my last question. And I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the job market right now. I've seen this incredible swing from after the pandemic happened, it was like impossible to get to find employees or qualified people. I mean, impossible. You know, people were starting to really think outside the box on hiring and doing things in a different way. And now all of a sudden it swung, you know, it feels like it swung a completely different direction. And all of a sudden my email, you know, my inbox is flooded with resumes and um, recruiters calling me, you know, what, what is your thoughts on, you know, what's going to happen here? And, you know, and when is this going to kind of get back to like, just normal? Why can't we just be normal? Yeah, we seem to have the pendulum swinging on the far ends and we just want to get back to the middle. It's It's been a good swing back for many because they had lost control and their attrition rates were getting very high as well as their costs because they were putting out increases that they really couldn't financially afford, but they needed the talent in order to deliver on the work. So the balance of power to some degree is shifting to to be a little bit more equitable because you do need to see that you don't have those high attrition rates that you can manage it i don't know that we're going to settle yet it is interesting because while you're getting all these resumes and it seems that there are people that are out of work if you look at the job numbers for our industry they're actually very strong and even stronger than pre-pandemic so the numbers look very positive right now and we have had a lot of course corrections, but people moving into new jobs. And I think that's also been interesting in the past few years as different areas have grown, especially in the area of data and analytics. So to me, it's exciting if we can get back to a point where we can be selective about the talent to make sure that you are hiring the right people and that this is still an incredibly desired industry that people want to be part of. It's much better for us to have people clamoring to be part of it than having to go out and try and find those individuals. Sure. And, you know, maybe that's what needs to happen. It's like, the, to your point, the pendulum swung so far one way, and maybe it has to swing so far the other day for other way for people to understand that what once was isn't realistic. And hopefully it ends up somewhere back in the middle where both both sides of, you know, of the fence kind of see like neither way works for anyone. Right. Mm -hmm. We just we have to be in the middle, you know, and I think that's I think where people want to get back to. I mean, I know I do. I mean, both ways are hard, you know, both ways are hard, Um, whether you're an employee or an employer, you know, so I think it's important to note. I agree. Awesome. Well, Marla, uh, that brings us to the end of our interview. I do have a couple of rapid fire questions. They're going to be just a few and we can call it a wrap. Okay. So if you could completely switch careers and do something completely different, what would you do? 
Oh, I I used to say, well, I'd be a lawyer, but uh, I used to say I'd go into film marketing, but that wouldn't be good either these days. Uh, I If I could switch careers, I actually have really loved this career. That's what's so interesting. And that's why I've stayed in this business for over 35 years. Love it. What's your What's your greatest strength? I'm very direct. Biggest weakness? I'm very direct. Okay. <laughs> if you have one skill set that you just weren't naturally born with, that you could snap your fingers and it would just be like, you know, just come automatically to you, what would it be? If I could have one skill set, it would be to be artistic. My mom can paint. She's so creative. I always wish that I could draw and paint and I just do not have that gene in my body. And lastly, what does success mean to you? The first thing that came to mind is being happy, but being fulfilled and making a difference, really having an impact and helping other people see the impact that they have. So it's doing it in a team, but making sure that people are enjoying that success too. Love it. Well, Marla, we have done it. We're done. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time with me today and super excited to uh, put this out into the world for everyone to hear our conversation. Me too. I really enjoyed our conversation and you really dug deep. I don't think I've ever gotten so personal in a conversation. So thank you. Yeah, no worries. I think that's what's interesting for people about She Dynasty. A lot of people talk about their industry and their craft, but I like to just dig a little deeper and, you know, sometimes uh, you get a little bit more of that human connection doing that. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you.